0: Hey everyone, I wanted to check in and introduce this episode and talk about a couple quick things. Today's episode is with Anthony Shook. Now I'm not going to give a full introduction about Anthony Shook because I give an introduction when I introduce Anthony Shook. And to be honest, it drives me crazy when podcasters do a full introduction of a guest, only to then talk to the guest and do a full introduction again. But my main takeaways from Anthony Shook where I appreciated the fact that he was honest about how experimental blockchain is. And he also, on the side, said that, you know, there is some definite corruption within there. And you have to be very careful and read between the lines because blockchain is so young. And you'll notice in the interview that he's very very honest about how a lot of this is theoretical still and there aren't really any experts on it because blockchain technology is so new so i really enjoyed that i feel like i learned a little bit i still don't completely understand blockchain and i will try to find a good bitcoin expert if you guys know someone that would be awesome i would really appreciate an expert though who is not associated with a particular company or anything else more of a a neutral expert so again if anybody knows anyone I'm going to try to hit up the Cato Institute because I met someone at Podfest who works there and hopefully I can get an expert on here we can understand it a little bit better because to be honest I'm a bit afraid of Bitcoin now I also wanted to discuss this week I'm I may be dropping a couple more episodes this week and that is because I have scheduled an interview with someone who is a a legendary podcaster he just was inducted into the podcasting hall of fame I am going to be superstitious and not say his name however because with my luck something will happen But I'm scheduled to interview him this week, and I will want to release the episode almost as soon as I can. So there may not be an addendum this week. There may be that interview I also have an interview with yet another podcaster Brett Montgomery I mentioned him before and I may be releasing that one this week as well so it might be a slightly crowded week I'm not sure try not to overburden everybody with too many episodes but I, I want to release this material as it's relevant Brett and I will be teaming up to to do something in the near future so I kind of want everyone to be introduced to him beforehand he's a really good guy and I think you guys will enjoy the show but for now let's listen to Anthony Shook. Hey, everybody, welcome back. I'm here today with Anthony Shook. He is the founder and CEO of Aerochain. And Aerochain is a blockchain type of business for aviation. Now, I know next to nothing about aviation, other than I get on a plane and they seem to always land and take off. (laughs) And I know probably even less about blockchain. So I've asked Anthony to come on and tell us. First off, what exactly is blockchain?
1: Yeah so um, so like you were saying i've uh, I'm a pilot I um, am involved in aviation I've been a pilot for about twelve years. I've also been involved in tech and about two two and a half years ago, I was uh, ex- starting to get exposure to blockchain technology and um, I think the first thing that starts to happen when someone gets uh, exposed to to blockchain technology is they start to it's, it's like an imagine they can start to imagine what can be done with it right so that's that's like the first thing and so because of my background in aviation uh, I saw a lot of connections that could be made and inefficiencies that exist in the aviation industry that blockchain could be a piece of helping to solve right um, I think that there's a couple misnomers about blockchain. I think everyone's probably heard of cryptocurrencies, right uh-huh. whether it be Bitcoin or ethereum um but what what people don't know is is that the technology and the cryptocurrency are two different things um, The cryptocurrencies work off of blockchain technology, but you don't necessarily need to have a a cryptocurrency to do blockchain right so um the, the important thing to note is also blockchain, blockchain was uh, born out of Bitcoin, right? And what they were trying to do is how do we eliminate fraud, uh, stop things like inflation and fix the double spend problem that we currently rely on a third party institution to do? Because... Think about it like if I send you money, like my bank has to talk to your bank, and then your bank talks to my bank, and then we reconcile the accounts, right? Okay. But with a digital currency like Bitcoin, you don't need to do that. You don't need the third party to reconcile the accounts. So if it leaves my account, it goes into your wallet or whatever it is that you're using, but it leaves mine, and I can't keep it. If you have it, so another explanation I sometimes use is imagine the internet today where I send you a PDF mm-hmm. I could still have that PDF mm-hmm. you would have that PDF and you could send that PDF to anyone right right so instead imagine if I could send you the PDF and I no longer had it like that PDF then has much more value because I it, that that's the kind of the example right like I, I no longer have it.
0: And how, how would that work then? Because you're, you're talking about, I do work in technology, sending mm-hmm. a file and technically the files are copied. Right.
1: So, well, so the way that it's done is that you keep a current state, right? And that's why what everyone's talking about when they talk about these nodes and and a blockchain, because it's essentially blocks of data that are put together in a chain, Right so everyone has the entire history and that's how we keep a a, a current state of there's the environment. yeah there's a le- yeah yeah so the ledger is the current state of, it's, it's every transaction right now the problem with that is as you can just probably imagine right now is the scalability because yes. as this gets as a ledger gets longer and longer we're talking about a lot more uh, memory that needs to to be kept right so what there's different kinds of scaling that are coming along um in order to help facilitate this side nodes uh sharding plasma things like that but those are pretty difficult the the main thing that we've been focusing on with what i'm doing is that blockchain is actually just a piece of technology in a bigger technology uh play right? So for example, what we're talking about is data security and privacy. And we utilize the blockchain just to communicate who can access data, right? As opposed to storing all the data onto a blockchain. So what where a lot of people kind of get it wrong is the, the storage of data on a blockchain is very inefficient from both a cost perspective and an energy perspective. Mm-hmm. perspective. Because when you're so the, one of the r- ways that we reach consensus is that there's um, this thing called proof of work where you actually have to do, a, a computer has to do a really hard mathematical problem, which gets actually harder as it goes along. And whoever solves it first gets to mine that block, right? Okay. But because the the way that this was set up, it takes so much energy to do that. It disincentivizes stealing because you would actually need to to Use more electricity than it would be the benefit of stealing the cryptocurrency, right? Okay. But in doing that, like think how inefficient that becomes, just from an energy standpoint. It's it's, it's very inefficient because right. you're you're constantly using so much energy to keep a consensus in a current state um, to make sure that nobody's a fraudulent actor. So okay, and that's part of I,
0: I think I saw something about the Byzantine generals problem. Correct. Uh, nobody can trust one another. And that's the, the point of all this.
1: Right. And, and the idea is, and you know, with the idea of, Hey, I can do business with you, you could do business with me, but we never need to, to really know each other or trust each other because this exists. And because it's a pretty solid transaction, that's either going to yes or no, you know, like either we, we agree to something and, Then they bring in these things called smart contracts, which are kind, they're basically just code. Right. But they execute upon themselves. So like, if I do this, then this, right. It's pretty basic, but, uh, but then you can keep money in escrow that way. And you know, that, that's a way for us to start automizing our contracts.
0: Okay. So it's a anonymous ledger in a sense, or, or it's, giving you back. I, I'm trying to get my head around it yeah, yeah. how, how yeah. it's... Because I've talked like,
1: about a couple different things. So, <laughs> you know, the, the the thing is, is that we're, blockchain as a whole is still a research project, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one of the things that people need to make sure to go into it knowing. Um, there are no experts in the space because the space is so new. Uh, there, there are a lot of really great possibilities that are starting to be discovered with this technology. But How they'll actually be implemented in scale, we still don't know, right? One Mm -hmm. of the things that Aerochain focuses on is what the blockchain can do today, which is it can record data, right? Mm -hmm. But in in like a much different way in in the sense that one of the things we talk about is that you're hashing uh, like in recording a fingerprint. Mm -hmm. Take this large data set and you bring it down into a fingerprint, essentially, that if you change any part of that data that that fingerprint will be different and won't match. I see. Right. And and then also, okay, so we have this large data set. You can't see what it is, but we're going to allow someone to query this large data set. Right. But who can query it? Well, let's make sure that we on with this hash that we put, who has the ability to query it and for how long and for how much money. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the only thing recorded on the blockchain. And then that data set is, is held anywhere you want it to be. Right. And then you can, I can share it with you and then you go to the blockchain and say, hey, I want to query this data set. The blockchain says, OK, yeah, the owner of the data said, OK, you can query it for X amount of dollars. Right. And then that's that's kind of how it's facilitated. What people are trying to do, uh, you know, if you look at some of the other projects just in the space, they're making a lot of assumptions about what blockchain is capable of. Right. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're very pie in the sky, which is great. And, you know, I hope one day we do get there, but it's not today.
0: Okay. Okay. So you are using it mostly as, um, a proof of identity or capability, I guess.
1: Yeah. Like a proof of, of or transactional. who owns data. Yeah. It's true. It's really transactional. Who owns the data? Who's capable of querying the data and how much it costs to query the data right? We're using cryptography to, in order to encrypt data so that I can share this data with you. I can mm-hmm. actually share it with the world, but unless they have permission to query it, they can't see it. And even if they do query it, the way that we're doing it, it's a cryptographic primitive. You actually can't see the underlying data. You could mm-hmm. just query it for a limited amount of time. And then the way that the queries are built, you can't reverse engineer the data. So Okay, with, no- okay there you go.
0: I'm sorry. How is that? Um, I have my co-pilot cat joining me. Um, (laughs) How is that different than, or an improvement on just straight out encryption querying a database?
1: Well, because the, the difference is, is that you don't ever get to see the underlying data, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a little bit, when you, when you're talking about, uh, is also like you can't share those large data sets mm-hmm. openly in the same way. Because the way, that it, the way that that encryption usually works is that you get access, like you, so okay, you, you here's the data set, it's mm-hmm. encrypted, but we've given you the key. So once you unlock that, you have access to most of the data set.
0: Okay, so you're saying, um, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm getting a little bit better at this. Um, you're essentially selling the result set. So like I do a query on my internal database and the results I put together and that's what I'm selling to you. I'm not selling the um, login or the ability to query. I'm, I'm just grabbing what you sent me a token and it's all this material goes with it.
1: So, so it's, a, so, yeah, it's, it's a little difficult. So I send you a, essentially what we're kind of calling a black box, a cryptographic circuit, which is a large oh. data set that's been encrypted. And okay. what you do is I've also allowed you to query it and recorded that on the blockchain and told how much it cost to query it. But when you query the data, it just gives you an answer. You never get to see what's that data set, what's in that data set, right? So like, for example, in aviation, it's, hey, we've manufactured these parts. Mm -hmm. And now anyone can query it. So Airbus gets it, but so does a maintenance repair overhaul who's doing uh, maintenance on an aircraft and needs to use one of those parts. And they can verify through a query, hey, was this part manufactured? Yes. Second query, was this part put on any other aircraft? Because there are counterfeit parts in the ecosystem in aviation, right? So okay. to, to, to basically do a process of elimination to make sure that that part's not actually counterfeit without having to test the materials, right? You could do a few queries and then you you, you know that that part, uh, it was actually manufactured and you can probably even know, you would actually know which Set it was manufactured in, like which manufacturing set, right? So okay. then See, that yeah. goes onto the aircraft, and then the aircraft is its own cryptographic uh, circuit, right? Which so that's that
0: your value clear. add then, is you're actually tracking the part through the lifetime from the factory to wherever it goes.
1: That's one piece. What's really amazing about aviation is that all of the data is similar, if not the same, because mm-hmm. it's all centered around an aircraft, right? So whether you're the FAA, whether you're the parts manufacturer, whether you're the aircraft manufacturer, whether you're the airline, whether you're the maintenance repair overhaul facility, whether you're the consumer, it doesn't matter. All of the data is about the aircraft, Mm -hmm. where it goes, what's on it. And the aircraft value is based on the parts on it and the the life that's left on them. Right. Because when you have an aircraft like it comes out of the plant one way, but after a little bit of time, like parts need replaced constantly. And so the the life left on those parts is how much the, of the value is left of the aircraft. And because there are about publicly, this is the number, 10% of parts are counterfeit, right? Like that also takes that down. And then 40% of an aircraft's value is in its maintenance log book. Well, the maintenance log book a lot of times is even paper. Mm-hmm. And so how do you verify that everything that's written in that maintenance log book is actually true? Well, now we're building the system where since the data can be connected through the entire ecosystem pretty seamlessly because now we don't need to trust one another and it's fairly monetized as opposed to the fact that like one of the players might take all the data and then monetize it down the chain, right? Instead of that now, you can kind of think of this as like music royalties for data owners, right? If I put data into the ecosystem in aviation, mm-hmm. when it's queried, I get rewarded.
0: Okay, so uh, just so I understand it completely. Um, I'm guessing then this would apply to new parts being created because how would you backload it with everything that's out there right now?
1: So the way that you would backload it is the fact that, well, one thing that's great about the parts, right is like I said, they have a, a limited life. so they are gonna they get changed over a lot faster than the, than the aircraft itself. The second part is that whenever you enter the everyone enters data, and it's almost all the same data, right? right. Or, or it's similar data. And what that means is it gives you tons of different data points to verify from. So just because the parts manufacturer can't, I mean, they could backdate and go and like put all of the, the data sets for the parts they've ever created. But if they don't, the maintenance repair overhaul facility and that actual mechanic records that serial number and that part number when he puts it onto an aircraft, right? He also records it when he takes it off. So if someone tries to use a counterfeit part using that same serial number, they are say, oh, no, actually, the system shows that it was taken off this tail number on this date because it had gone past its useful life.
0: Okay, now, part of the uh, whole blockchain thing is uh, decentralization, from mm-hmm. what I understand. Yeah. Um, since you're selling result sets, etc., th- through this, where is the data stored? Exactly. Uh, are you actually, in fact, a centralized location that's using blockchain to protect the data? Or is the data going to be stored with a communication ability between all the different systems who somehow subscribe to it?
1: More the latter at the beginning, right? So the the one thing that uh, we've realized, and I kind of had an uh, inkling about, was that nobody wants to put their data onto a blockchain. And also a lot of aviation doesn't even want to put their data on any kind of cloud system. right? And this, ha- this has to do heavily with uh, government contracts, sure. right? I mean, almost all the major stakeholders in aviation touch the government contracts in some way. Um, yeah. So what we see happening is that they're going to store it locally with the ability to query, uh, to have incoming queries from all of the ecosystem based on, chain, which is the layer two solution. And the blockchain part is really about who can query the data and how much it costs. And then the movement of, uh, and then who owns the data and the movement of the value, right? So this person queried this data, and that means that the owner of the data gets X amount of tokens. And then you get a
0: piece off of that, or how do you sustain
1: yeah, so Airchain has a small uh fee for every query, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's their re- that's the revenue stream in order to maintain um and build the system. Now would the
0: um FAA, no, sorry, FAA also have hooks into this so they could actually be tracking what is where and how and you know for um if yeah. a plane wreck happens or something, I, I
1: don't know. So the NTSB is very So i talked to the FAA safety board and the NTSB is very interested in the fact of when you, whenever you ever see a plane crash, unfortunately, they're like, okay, great. We're really sorry. The plane crashed. We'll tell you in two years why it crashed. Right. Because they go in and they completely reconstruct the plane and they uh, have to go, dig through these logbooks. So another example, which is a less catastrophic one is when you go to sell an aircraft. So yeah. I, I could actually show you photos of, of streams full of paper boxes, right? Boxes oh. full of paper. Because what happens is all of the, the FAA traditionally has like paper. It's just the way that it's been done. So you have sure. these entire history of an aircraft all in paper. So when you go to deliver that aircraft, there has to be a pre-purchase inspection. And that pre-purchase inspection is just going through every document and seeing what's been done to the aircraft. Is it maintained to a high, high standard? Is everything that's supposed to be done been done? And if not, I've had a lot of people in my circle who've bought aircraft who might be worth $20 million for five because they couldn't, they couldn't justify or create or, or, or make sure that the aircraft was, records were, were valid. And so the, the thing is, is this also ensures, so someone in this pipeline lost value in their asset, which is probably the underwriter or the owner. Right. So the question is, like, can you provide the FAA the ability to query data? So like a parts manufacturer and an aircraft manufacturer probably is going to put, yes, the FAA can query my data but, and there's no fee attached because we give the FAA data and then they have the right to audit and, and blah, blah, blah. But right. also the, the certification process of an aircraft, both from uh, when it first gets developed, also to an operator. So like American Airlines says, we're going to add an aircraft. We have to go get that aircraft. Certified on our on our certificate in order to be able to operate it. Well, a lot of these processes just take a lot of time because it's back and forth with data, back and forth with data, back and forth with data. And it's also, okay, do they need to bring in a third party to verify that that data is actually correct? Well, imagine if you didn't have to do any of that, you could query data real time and know that it was actually correct because it has different data points to verify.
0: Okay, you're proving the authenticity. So you're saying essentially not to minimize it but a carfax for planes
1: a carfax for planes is is one thing that i that someone i had told me and it, it it makes the most sense for someone who's not in aviation to understand yes a carfax for planes that is verified but it's also a carfax for pilots a carfax for mechanics a carfax for the insurance companies carfax for uh the uh, pilots right like it's just it's, everybody needs to verify data uh and so this this connects it today the data is just not connected partially because um the systems are just a little bit lagging as far as tech goes there hasn't been a ton of like advancements in tech regarding aviation and the second part is there are a couple big players who don't like to play with each other Mm -hmm. right and so they're they're not very yeah (laughs) they're not incentivized to share data right so that's that's the thing though is is can you fairly monetize data and then allow it to never be revealed and, yeah. and use that as the pillar to stand on as opposed to okay but if i show you my data you can steal it and then you can monetize it and then i no longer have you know this this power
0: that's interesting okay and you mentioned pilots too is, is this a way to actually track like flight times
1: well, yeah, you like can, so like whenever you're going to go for a type certificate, right, and like be able to fly a different type of aircraft, you have to verify that you have the experience. The same with um, there's two companies called Wyvern and Argus that if you go to step on, especially a private aircraft, they verify with Wyvern and Argus that the pilot has not had a, a bad track record or that you know the pilot has the hours and type ratings they say. But you know how Argus or Wyvern does that? They literally go through a paper logbook. And then they just say, okay, that's correct. But the paper logbook was written by the pilot. And I'm not saying that pilot, <laughs> that pilots lie or that they're, you know, or that they're, you know, anything like that. But what I am saying is that there's a much easier way in today's age for us mm-hmm. to make sure that everyone's connected. Because the flight school, if the pilot went back to the flight school, say he lost his logbook and he goes back to the flight school and he says, mm-hmm. hey, I need to recreate my logbook. And the, and the, the flight school is like, well, we haven't maintained very good records. We could go through, but it's going to take us a long time. Right? right. And we're not going to catch every single hour that you flew. Well, that just doesn't make any sense because there's a liability standpoint on the flight school side, the pilot. That's a huge investment that they've made. And then the airline needs to know all that data. Right. As does the FAA. Like it's very disconnected. And there—and it's a lot of paper. I, Whenever I show people the the paper, they're just like, no, there's no way. And I'm like, yeah, it's still a lot of paper.
0: It seems unimaginable that this isn't automatically tracked like flight control i i understand is told that such and such a flight is coming in blah 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 right isn't that logged somewhere electronically it just it would just seem to make sense that like oh you were the pilot on this flight at this time from a to b well that would be in the history
1: there i mean there are different ways that it's captured right like so the airline has its own system um the the faa i don't you know they track part of it, but, and the air traffic control will track like the tail number and where it's coming from and blah, blah, blah. But they're probably less interested in the pilots unless something happens. Right. right. But the other thing too, is I've been in a uh, control tower where they were clicking a button every time a pilot landed or a plane landed. Wow. The cow. Right. So, I mean, you just have to understand is that we have a lot of technology and it's, it's pretty low cost to implement some of this stuff, but Who's doing it? Most of the time, there isn't a ton of money in the tech and aviation, just because the margins are already so small, right? Mm. And so there's just not been a lot of incentive to bring in tons of innovation. For me, it's really a passion project because I because I am a pilot, right? And I and I do deal with all of these things on on a frequent basis. Well, tell me about that. Um,
0: that's a, a really interesting career, and I I know a lot of people are wanting to get into
1: it. Are, are you commercial, private? Um... So I, I've been very, very lucky. I fly myself around. <laughs> so it's, it's really the, the best way to do it. Um, I went to flight school. I was planning on doing the whole commercial pilot route. And unfortunately, when I was going into, uh, to fly, the starting salary was $17,000. Wow. And it was with the regional carriers. It was 2008. Nobody was getting jobs anyway, but, um, but yeah, the, 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 what you saw was then we had some some issues happen and there was an accident and then the minimum hours were raised to 1,500 hours in order to start working for regional carrier because what the regionals did is they ended up with the the amount they were paying, these pilots were living at home, right? And commuting to work because you're allowed to commute to work. But by the time they got to work to be able to be on duty, quote, right? They had been flying for like, 12 hours, right. Uh, Or 15 hours without sleep because they live with their parents because they can't afford to, because they make $17,000 a year and they have student loans. Right. So what happened is you saw that someone was exhausted and they got in a crash. Right. And so that's when there was some legislation that came down the pipeline where you have to have 1500 hours and, and a couple other things. Right.
0: I didn't know it was so grossly underpaid. I mean, I've, I've heard, um, derogatorily speaking bus drivers in the sky but well it you know, sounds you,
1: about the same <laughs> it's, it's it's gotten much better uh because there's been a pilot shortage because of the crisis in 2008 uh there was no way to get funding to go to flight school because unlike colleges flight schools weren't the same kind of accreditation right so you had to get like a private loan and the second part is is why would anyone do that if you're going to get paid eighteen thousand dollars a year so you saw a big decline in, in pilots entering the market, right. For, for, uh, for education. And now you've just seen that they have huge shortages. So now they're paying like $60,000 a year with a $20,000 sign on bonus. Ah, okay. So Mark is deciding, I I had
0: an assumption that most pilots came from the military, but.
1: I mean, there's a lot that come from the military, but, uh, you have to remember is like, you know, how many people have you known that are like, Oh, I'm going to join the military to become a pilot. And they're like, yeah, I basically put chalks down and like I didn't, you know. I mean, being a pilot is very hard in the military because you have to, uh, you know, like the pressure that it is to be a pilot is, is pretty heavy when you're training because it's it's a co- it's very cost intensive, right? So like if you're not getting something, mm-hmm. like you're paying two or three hundred dollars an hour, you know, wow. depending, right? Because you have the plane and you have the uh, the instructor. So if you so if it's taking you hours and hours to get something that someone else is getting fast like you're feeling it from a financial standpoint. Wow, so it's either a
0: pay for flight school or go to Harvard. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, so.
0: Okay, so if somebody, let's say, they did want to get into flying, um, and, and maybe not necessarily as a career, maybe just as a hobby, you know, something yeah. they just wanna do, what, what would you recommend, what kind of course?
1: I would say I really love this course called Sporties. Um, they're like a video course, uh they're really good they're interactive it's pretty inexpensive online but the other thing too is there's so many simulators i think what people don't realize is like there's a simulator here in new york city that i go to right because at the end of the day like i love to fly but i don't fly as often as i want because i am running a company right so what i do is i try to go every week to the simulator and fly because that's what uh because flight is really about repetition so mm-hmm. if you know what to do at any time when, it, when something goes wrong, that's what makes a really great pilot. Of course, there's like some skill and the maneuverability and stuff, but mm-hmm. it's, it's really about like, are you trained enough to focus on the flying? Because if you're worried about, okay, what's the process? Like, what, what do I do next? As opposed to actually flying an aircraft, you just get very uh, flustered. And that's why you see a lot of private pilots have, have issues is just because they're just, they don't fly enough. Right, and something happens and goes wrong, and they just don't have the emergency procedures memorized to to the to the level of the commercial pilots, right? Like if something happens to a, a commercial pilot, they're like, okay, now this goes off, this goes off, this goes off. Check this, check this, check this. This goes off, this right. goes off. Turn this on, restart. Doesn't do it? Okay, shut, 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 shut. Like you know, like they they've got a very clear checklist, and they know how to do it without seeing the checklist. Almost like an autonomic um, response. Yeah, and that's what, and that's why. Uh, So the pilots don't only fly, they also get recurrent training all the time. So they go into a large simulator and test every emergency under the sun, which is really great. And the other thing too is, you know, what Aerochain wants to to focus on is making sure that pilots are current. So the one thing is, is that, hey, you have to have flown um, so many takeoffs and landings in the last 90 days and the type and rating that you want to go fly. So built into the logbook application could be uh, alerts like, hey, you know you're you're still current but you haven't flown in this many days like you know you could even then connect them with flight schools or connect them with a simulator like you know i mean when you start connecting this data on a, on a large scale and you connect all of the ecosystem players you really get to to have some some cool things happen right which we're really excited about cool. even like ai right like just think about the idea if you're a mechanic and you're sitting there fixing a plane and your hands are all greasy right and you're like hey does this part go in before this part oh it tells you right today it's it's a pdf when they say a digital record it's a pdf scan of a schematic that they're like trying to follow in order to to
0: fix an aircraft Wow, I, I did not realize that it was to me. Planes are such a futuristic technology to have it laden with so much baggage yeah. is, is literally hard that, to
1: imagine. Yeah, it's it, you know, like I said, it's just there hasn't been a lot of money in developing tech for uh aviation, and what you've seen is you've seen the large carriers develop tech, you've seen Um, The major players try to develop tech, but a lot of them aren't really tech companies, right? They're much more focused on on hardware. So software isn't always their forte. And you see that in their user interface and user experience because of that. So how's it
0: going um, for your company at, at the moment? What kind of backers do you have with you and things like that?
1: So we've been really lucky. We've been focused really on on the tech. Uh, so we've been doing a lot of research around cryptography and um, the cryptographic primitives, the Bulletproof, CK Starks. But uh, we're really focused on, okay, so we need to make sure that we can connect this data and still keep it private. So mm-hmm. that's what we've been heavily focused on. But we have, have had talks with a lot of major players in aviation, private aviation is really, really excited for it because they especially don't have any tech uh, just because they, in their budget, it doesn't have the ability to go out and have custom software built. And then, or, you know, they're piecemealing five or six different softwares together uh, in order to run their operation, which is inefficient. And and part of that is because most of these operators don't own all the aircraft and the aircrafts Mm -hmm. are all their own LLC. So, you have to report on all those aircraft. So, I always, I always joke with the accounting departments because they have to have like legitimate accounting departments in order to do reports for every single plane every quarter. And then, especially when tax season comes around.
0: Okay. So, now do you have a, a product or, or a service that is out at the moment that people are subscribing to, or is that coming?
1: That's coming. So the one the one thing about uh, like we said, we're using blockchain in in, a, in it, what the capacity that's available now, um, and we hope to like everyone else scale up with uh, the the technology as it allows for a much bigger throughput, right? And, and capabilities, and it's been tested. Um, but yeah, we're we're still working on on getting a product out. Um, but what we are doing is helping to educate the ecosystem on what this technology is and how it's going to implement their businesses in the future. Uh, That's a, that's a one hard thing with blockchain too is that we're still uh, in the research phase. So there's a lot of, of unknown and we are working on getting legitimate projects out or products out, but you really got to get them to the table to talk about the technology first. And that, and that's a little bit of disconnect from traditional tech because everyone's used to here's my product. Do you want to buy it? And now it's like, hey, we're developing the future of technology. Do you want to be a part of the conversation?
0: Yeah, it's like you're trying to uh, sell internet protocol.
1: Right. I mean, that's exa- actually that's ex- exactly what you're doing because it's just the next layer of a protocol, right? Like, so th- that that's what it is.
0: Okay. So where can people find you and learn more
1: about this? So arrowchain.org um, okay. and arrow like A-E-R-O. Um, so a lot of people think it's like an arrow, like shooting through the sky, but uh, it's a e r o. Um, yeah, and we're you know we're on all the on the Telegram, and um, Telegram's an app that a lot of people use in um, blockchain to communicate. We're on Twitter. We have the the website. You know, we're really focused on um, on making sure that. We tell the narrative from an aviation perspective. And then on top of that, we're doing a television show. (laughs) Oh, cool. So um, I'm very lucky to be friends with a great director and producer named Stephen David, who did The Men Who Built America. I don't know if you've Mm -hmm. ever seen it, but he won two Emmys for it. Um, It's really great. It's about like Vanderbilt and Carnegie and uh, Rockefeller and the people who created utilities in the United States and fueled the industrial revolution.
0: I think I saw one where... um... The Hudson Canal or something i I'm not sure
1: yeah they're, that's there it, it was on the History Channel it had to do with like the fact that you know the there were a couple of main players, which were railroads, the canal, and then pipelines, right, because okay. it was really about moving goods, and specifically with Rockefeller as oil from Standard Oil, right, because um, Cleveland was the Middle East of its day <laughs> right right. Um, so yeah, but it's it's basically can we capture the internet again. Right. Could you imagine if there was a camera around, uh, you know, during the the internet boom that, you know, started kind of this whole thing. So it's, it's that same kind of, uh, premise and, um, yeah, we're filming and it's, it's been quite an experience because I am, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a small town kid from Ohio. So the whole cameras everywhere has been interesting. Hmm. What's fantastic. And I encourage everybody to check that out. What,
0: when is it going to premiere?
1: Right now, I think it'll be January 2019. There's a, several uh, platforms bidding for it, uh, but I don't know who, who's going to win out. That's, that's Stephen David's thing. I don't pretend to, to know how to make TV <laughs> shows. <laughs> I, just, I just build tech. You're just
0: a talent.
2: <laughs> you, you know, the,
0: the, your little people take care of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: All right. Well, hey, Anthony, thank you so much for coming on. And I think we have a little bit more knowledge Honestly, so I'm about 10% smarter than I was.
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Mr. Hayes' office, how may I help you? Andrea, it's Marilyn over at Kennedy Parker Construction. Hello, Marilyn. Would you like me to connect Mr. Parker to A Mr. A fish
0: surrounded by sharks. A secretary cursed by desire and ambition. Introducing the diaries by Donna Barrow-Green. The Diarist, an addictive psychological thriller, satirical, suspenseful, and full of twists. Available on iTunes or
2: anywhere you get your podcasts. Yes. I'm sorry if I've hurt your feelings. Or if something I've said has led you to believe I think you're incompetent. It's just been so long since you've given me any encouragements or compliments on my... Andrea. I do notice you. I like that blouse on you, very much. You look very pretty, just as you are right now. Oh, well, I... It's very pretty on you. Thank you. What sort of fabric is it? It's silk. It's lovely. You have excellent taste in clothes. I notice. Would you mind removing your cardigan? My sweater? Yes, so I can see the blouse in its entirety why I like it very much you see I do notice you you know that don't you I don't have to tell you I notice these things you know when I like something don't you I don't know I repeated his words in my mind I noticed you. That was it, wasn't it? I wanted someone to notice me. Not Andrea, the daughter, the wife, the secretary. Not even Andrea, the artist or ad girl. I wanted someone, anyone, to see me. More than anything, it was Richard. Please don't think unkind of me, dear reader.